0: Hi, I'm Seth Roseman, I'm Jonathan Fuller, and welcome to No Experts Allowed, where we try to make the Bible less scary, more approachable, and a more consistent means of connecting with the divine.
1: Each week, Seth and I alternate between two roles. The non-expert takes a look at a specific Bible story and prepares for a conversation about it centered around two questions. What's the story and what's the point? Meanwhile, the storyteller joins
0: in the conversation, reacting to the story as they hear it, because the so-called experts
1: aren't the only
0: ones who can make meaning and sense of the Bible
1: as we read it together. So if you're new to or exploring Christian faith, if
0: you've been to seminary
1: like us, if you want to know more about the Bible but don't
0: want to hear another sermon, or if you're anywhere in between, this podcast is for
1: you. Join us and let's tell a good story today. Just <laughs> started yelling at me. What's happening?
0: Good evening, Jonathan.
1: What's up, Seb? How are you? Great.
0: I'm excited to be here.
1: I'm excited too. I you know, it's been a nice weekend. I haven't had many weekends in a while, and I'm glad to enjoy this one. As an actual weekend, especially to enjoy part of it with you.
0: Well, thanks. Here's my question for you.
1: This was my favorite part of every weekend, so I'm looking forward to it.
0: What would you do in this particular situation? Would you want Michael Scott or Dwight Schrute to succeed you in your current job?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. Michael Scott, Dwight Schrute. Okay, so for listeners who are not aware, uh, my current role is in residence life on a college campus. Uh, that's, what I'll, that's what I'll say. Uh, so a lot of what I do is supervising resident assistant staff, doing some conduct-related things, mostly related to minor housing violations, and also serving in an on-call capacity. So I will respond... Uh, when I'm scheduled to be on call or respond to emerging situations that need professional staff response. So that being said, (laughs) I think they're both Michael and Dwight would bring incredible strengths to this position. (laughs) I think Michael has the at least semblance of compassion that I think is needed in most situations. Dwight would probably be better equipped for like the on-call responsibilities given his experience as a volunteer sheriff deputy
0: yeah uh, that's true that's true i didn't think about that i think, that. I think he would i think he might situation. take
1: it i think he might take it too far though i think if i interviewed him as my successor i'd be like oh man this guy's way too into this so i think i'd go, go with michael scott and i'll apologize to my co-workers later for bringing <laughs> him in to be michael. my successor God. what about you
0: okay i don't really know how to answer this as a student i was like who yeah. so I, my question for myself is like who would i have as my fellow student
1: okay yeah that makes sense
0: and i i think i think i might take Dwight i just think class would be so interesting with him right like it would be crazy <laughs>
1: and especially for your last semester it's just like i just need something to pit, like ramp things up a little bit yeah, Could you imagine exactly. dwight schrute doing zoom education like <laughs> virtual education <laughs> i feel like he'd be way too close to the camera the whole time but also like very intent on indicating that he was paying attention so like just staring into the camera very intently and nodding
0: I should have screenshotted that example.
1: Yeah, you should have. That would have been a good Instagram post. That
0: would have. Dang it.
1: (laughs) Okay, well, it's good. Now, both Michael and Dwight will have a role to play in this new reality of ours, which is good.
0: Since our question was or will be related to our text today, would you read
1: it for us? Sure. Glad to. This is Numbers chapter 27, verses 12 to 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go up this mountain in the Abarim range and see the land I have given the Israelites. After you have seen it, you too will be gathered to your people as your brother Aaron was. For when the community rebelled at the waters in the desert of Zin, both of you disobeyed my command to honor me as holy before their eyes these were the waters of meribah kadesh in the desert of zin yeah you should be laughing <laughs> what are we supposed to do with this okay that's my initial reaction and in question but first okay well that's okay that's okay why did you go with the new international version this week
0: I went with the NIV this week because it strikes, believe it or not, it strikes a nice balance between readability and kind of the original language. This text is never going to be super readable because it has all these names of these places that we've never heard of that are usually transliterated right. from Hebrew into English. So it's always kind of going to be difficult. Uh-huh. But oh, besides the weird names, the NIV is a very readable translation.
1: Okay, now that you're done with that, what are we supposed to do with this? (laughs) Just reading this, I have so many questions. Okay. And and I guess what might have have helped the heading, at least in what I'm reading, which clearly relates to your wwi question, is Joshua to succeed Moses. But I feel like the passage, as it was chosen in the revised common lectionary, was yeah, very it minimal, like <laughs> it Joshua is. doesn't make an appearance. So I guess my main question is: Why? How? How dare you? How could you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to lead on you to to give me a little more information on this okay. one.
0: That's fine. Just this is a really quick overview of the Book of Numbers. So far in the Hebrew Bible, in Exodus and Leviticus, they've left, the Israelites have left Egypt. And in Leviticus, they're staying put just in the middle of the, in the middle of the desert. And at the beginning of Numbers, they finally start to move forward again toward the promised land. But on the way, they have all these, these like mutinies almost. They're like, we don't we don't want to go to the promised land. We don't like it out here. Did you lead us out here to die? And there's one in particular that even Moses gets in trouble. There the people are complaining because they're in the desert and there isn't any water. So God tells Moses, "Take your take your staff and strike the rock two times and water will flow from it." but instead Moses declares something like this is off the top of my head he says something like we we will provide you this water and then he holds it his staff in the air so he doesn't do what god says and he also kind of takes the he takes the role of provider on for himself and that's what's being referenced in this weird line When the community rebelled at the waters of Zin, both of you disobeyed my command to honor me as holy. That's that kind of weird line that we get. Later in Numbers, right before we get here, Moses sends 12 spies into the promised land, one from each tribe. And they come back and 10 of them say, like, we can't live there. The Canaanites will destroy us. And two of them say, no, we like we can survive, we can make it, and it's beautiful. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. And they're the ones telling the truth. But to punish the Israelites, God decrees that none of them will make it into the promised land. And here in our passage for today, this kind of weird short snippet, we see Moses go up to the top of this mountain, he sees into the promised land, and God tells him, no, 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 you're, you're never going to make it either. Right. But Joshua will. Mm. And then right after this, God God tells Moses, like, basically to anoint Joshua as, as his successor.
1: Well, it's, it seems, verse 13 says, after you've seen it, you two will be gathered to your people as your brother Aaron was. Feels like a statement about, hey, go see the promised land. I'll at least give you that much, but yeah. then you're also going to die. Uh, yeah. You're going to die having never entered the land that I promised you when you led this deliverance of all these people out of Egypt. I think I'd be pretty bad if I was in that <laughs> situation. Me too. Mm. Okay. The other thing, I think the other thing for me that stands out. Um, And it's related to that for sure, though, is there seems to be a tension here between God and Moses. Maybe it's even some wrestling within the divine. But God, who has made these clear punishments that you'll never enter the land, you will be able to see it, though. (laughs) And just thinking about the idea of climbing a mountain and being in Moses' shoes and saying this is what i've worked towards and simultaneously feeling the sense of pride and accomplishment while also feeling the sense of longing that same longing that may overcome you in those moments of i i'm that close and i can't quite make it there i don't know in this story specifically and with these the, and with the context that you provided, I have a lot of sadness for Moses. <laughs> it just feels like he's getting the short end of the stick in this situation.
0: Yeah, it definitely does. It's like he's done so much up until this point. And to see it, in, like at some level I think like, oh, at least he got to see it. And then I'm like, man, maybe. I wonder if it would have been better if he didn't get to see it at all. Like, Yeah. Like that's like a mean. Like it, you get a taste of it, right? But then you can't. You never get to get to be there, get to, right? This is a short and kind of strange text.
1: Agreed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I, I have a couple. I have a couple questions that I've just kind of been thinking about. I'm not sure I really have any answers. But the one is is related, I think, exactly to what we've been talking about. How. Like, how do we deal with knowing that sometimes, especially I think this is true for your role in a college, and, like, my role, hopefully as a pastor one day, is, like, how do we deal with knowing that we start something but never kind of see the end product? Yeah. Like, you, you, used like, have these students, and you watch them grow, and you hope to form them, and then they leave, and they occasionally come back, you... You know, maybe you read articles about things that they're doing. It's like you have to have some kind of trust, right? I don't know. It's like, how do we deal with never really seeing the end
1: product of our work, I guess. Mm. Yeah, that's. I was having that conversation with a student who was having that realization on my behalf the other day. It's like, wait, so if you're here for a while, you're just always working with new people, aren't you? Yeah. Presumably every four to five years, you've got at least relatively close, and not to 100%, 100% turnover in terms of the student body, student population. That's a really unique challenge, I think, when thinking about the idea of, I mean, honestly, for me, the word that comes to mind is legacy. And I'm thinking of the end of Hamilton when <laughs> Alexander Hamilton says kind of mid-duel with Aaron Burr he's reflecting kind of having this life flashing before his eyes sequence and he says legacy what is a legacy it's planting seeds in a garden that you'll never see Mm -hmm. and I'm thinking too of the passage from Galatians 6 for we do not tire of doing what is good if we know that in due time we will reap but still thinking about how So much of how we invest in our relationships, in our communities, especially our communities of faith, we don't know the kind of impact that's going to have. And so rarely do we get tangible results of that. You know, you don't have a mandatory survey after every Sunday (laughs) in church that you preach. Or after every meeting that you lead, saying, how impactful was this on your life? And honestly, I don't want that. I think I'd be sad most of the time. But so much of what we do, the ways that our stories intersect for a time, we don't get to see so many things, including our relationships with people and how they're growing. We don't get to see those through to fruition. And man, I'm just really feeling some connection with moses here you know being able to see that vision of what's to come but knowing you're not going to be there yourself
0: yeah Yeah, and you get some little glimpses i think i don't know if you if you see like a student that you've you've known for a while you see like kind of what they're becoming but then they leave right and you the hope is that they just keep following that trajectory like oh wow like they you know they've grown so much like the, I think I mean I think the life of a pastor is like that too. You hope to see people growing mm-hmm. and changing. That church will be there long after you're alive, hopefully. That kind of dovetails with my my other point. This is the, my other question I've been thinking about: is how do we how do we kind of leave room for our successors mm. which I don't know the answer to that but I think I will say I I rarely even really think about that yeah like I don't <laughs> I don't really well, even think I, about
1: who's coming after me it's like I remember this conver- I've had this conversation before you know in, in our tradition we place such an emphasis on gifts and strengths of one kind or another and with points of our theology like the image of god however human is created in a loving way so unique you know those kinds of theologies lead us to in on one hand hold this this sense that like we are called and gifted in certain ways and for at least in certain times and spaces for certain roles even and there is this witness throughout scripture of part of those callings being to prepare the way yeah. and I, I've had this conversation, I remember the conversation coming up in college some, around this about, is it appropriate to think about your work as a minister, and I use that word broadly, and I'm not talking about necessarily like a vocational pastor who works in a church or not, but someone who considers themselves uh, considers their faith important enough to hope that it leaves an impact but as someone who considers their faith important enough to them to want to have it influence their relationships with others is working yourself out of a job so to speak (laughs) is that an appropriate mindset because is that in any way diminishing your work and your giftedness I think as time's gone, time has gone on. I would, I would say no. I don't. I don't think it does, because I think there can always be space for for you in some way. But using your gift and your role and your voice to amplify those that are coming after you, not in the like predatory way, like a, like those who are <laughs> succeeding you, that can plant the seeds in the garden that will flourish in the in the future and i'm thinking of that right now too of how we talking about you and me as white straight protestant cisgender male people who are our successors in this new quest for equity and justice in our world and how does our paving the way because of our privilege and our position And the resources that we have available to us, how does that then, yeah, how does that pave the way for what could come after us? Even if we're not talking about a specific role, but are talking about making new space at the proverbial table and potentially leaving that space ourselves.
0: Hmm. It seems like a radical shift of perspective to even think about kind of what and who. Comes after us. That seems like the root of the climate crisis to me. Hmm. People didn't think about what was going to come after them. Right. It was like we will use whatever we have to use right now. Well,
1: I'm thinking of a friend of mine too that just started a new job, and the person who's who was in the position prior to him did not leave on good terms, and made so in this situation with a literal successor. <laughs> he in his departure to get back at the department and his supervisor did a bunch of stuff that made his successor's role my friend his oh, role geez. much more difficult oh my gosh. And so that might be too literal of an example but i think again to expand to the ideas about the climate that you're referring to it feels like we are so so centered on our own narratives about how we interact with the world, how we use resources that we're unwilling to consider the consequences for those that may come after us, who had nothing to do with the struggles <laughs> and the conflicts that we're having now. I don't know. I think I think you bring up a really good point that's really well represented in conversation about the climate and the planet and our environment. It is a real transformation of thought to prioritize who may come after you whether or not you're documenting your work processes yeah. in that famous transition binder even if you're not <laughs> intending on leaving your job anytime soon preparing a way for your literal successor in a position that you have or thinking about other ways that people can succeed you it's a real change of pace from how am i how am i going to step into this role fully now Bring all I have to the table. I don't think those things are mutually exclusive, but it's definitely a, a different emphasis.
0: Yeah, it requires kind of both, both looking far ahead and be myopic, right? Like to hold those yeah. together, like to see what's right in front of you and, and to also think like so long term.
1: Well, in a lot of ways, you know, there and there's certainly times too where seeking self interest is going to be detrimental to you to a successor but there are also times where you putting your best into what you're doing is going to serve both you in the immediate and your successor in the long term Mm -hmm. so whether you're working in a position a literal job where you are building good relationships and establishing good processes to make your work better You're then creating a new space for someone to fit into after you're gone. What they do with that out of your control, sure, but you're at least setting them up for that. Mm -hmm. And with other situations, too, working to, for example, working towards a better environment now and establishing that pattern will not only improve the environment and the climate for the future it'll also create the frameworks for future advocacy to happen for the next steps of change to occur as well.
0: I'm trying Com- to think. A Wait.
1: conversation about climate justice <laughs> from an obscure passage in numbers. I love it. This podcast is the best.
0: <laughs> I didn't I didn't even know that this is where this is going to go, but
1: this is great. So I'm just thinking about this idea of doing good work now being both personally beneficial and beneficial for your successor is related to this the story of moses and the incident that's described here as being the one that disqualifies him from entering the promised land it sounds like he was so caught up in the moment of the people complaining of him being tired of dealing with all their problems (laughs) It sounds like he got so sucked into that that what he was able to see on this mountain range was out of sight for him at that time. And that's it's a, a tough place to be because it, it makes so much sense. like I don't blame Moses for what he did. It, it feels like such a human response, you know just it's like we just need to get through this. Like, yeah, here's your yeah. stinking water drink <laughs> it let's keep going <laughs> but at the same time he was so drawn in to that moment that he wasn't wasn't bringing what was asked of him or expected of him and the long game wasn't in mind either
0: it's helpful for me to think about that i think the narrative can glorify moses I think it's written to do that. Yes. <laughs> so, but that's a help. That's helpful to to maybe see some of his flaws and to humanize him a little bit like that. In the midst of this situation, even Moses can't see long term. Like he's right. he's just doing enough to survive and to get ahead of him and to satisfy all the Israelites and their complaints.
1: And I think to get back to your earlier question too, what you don't see in the narrative of moses to this point is him developing a succession plan (laughs) yes agreed and of course that's a modern construct that i shouldn't impose on him but like i don't i'm not remembering and i totally could be wrong on this i'm not remembering a time where moses is like someday i'll die and at that point here's what you should do (laughs) it's only at these moments where god's like hey Joshua's going to take over and you're yeah, going to die. Exactly. He's like, oh crap, I better figure things out then.
0: Better start preparing the binder. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. And, and he... It's and so to go back to your earlier question of like, I, I don't know how much Moses was thinking about the idea of legacy. That this moment where he climbs this mountain and looks over the land that God has promised to him and the people... This moment becomes a real paradigm shift for him. That maybe he starts to think of that experience as something that's beyond his immediate work. Mm -hmm. That is also something that would have been impossible without his work.
0: Yeah. Hmm.
1: So I'm wondering when that shift would have occurred for him. And when that that moment where he realized, hey, I'm not going to be here forever and someone else needs to be able to take the reins.
0: I always admire that part of the United Methodist polity because it forces you as a pastor to think about those questions. But the Lutheran church structure does not do that. You can just keep pushing those questions off and you you can leave without ever having thought of those questions. Right. And then there's just a long transition period. An interim pastor comes in. They deal with all those questions, basically. <laughs> and you're off the hook. And you're you're yeah. on to the
1: next place. For those that are less familiar with the United Methodist polity that Seth was mentioning, our pastors are appointed to churches. We don't have what some denominations have. In essentially an application process that the church hires their pastor, we have a bishop who oversees an area, and they appoint the clergy to these specific settings. Um, often done in consultation with the clergy about their families and their situations. But it's true; it, it reminds me of the old saying that you can you never step in the same river twice. That although it <laughs> may be in the same place, the the content of the river is different from the last time you stepped in it. And I'm thinking about that with some of our churches that have a long history. Uh, And and regardless of denomination, I think, too, but a church that meets in the same building might have a completely different composition of people, uh, let alone leadership, from year to year, decade to decade. And yet it is still the same place. And so going into a setting like that in our system really forces you to think about not how am I going to define what this church is about, but how do I understand what this church is about, and how do I fit into that picture for this time that I'm here? How do I help them accomplish their goals? How do we see the reign and realm of God become real in our midst? In a way that's unique to our own community and our expression of faith. So there's some things I don't like as much about United Methodist polity, but I think you're <laughs> right. The perspective that our clergy have going from church to church, being sent there to support a church that's already not only in existence but has some sense of identity and vision and purpose, rather than the church being anchored around uh, the identity of or the abilities of a particular leader hmm. I, I I really appreciate that model.
0: That's something I hadn't even thought of with this text. the way this is a shake up for the Israelites
1: hmm.
0: like the way they're accustomed to a particular leader, yeah, are loyal to a particular leader, and suddenly. He's not going to be their leader much longer, right? right. And it's, it's, it's not only kind of this perspective shift for Moses, but also for all the Israelites. There's a lot in these, these couple weird verses.
1: Yes. Numbers can be scary, but there's a lot that's really rich in there as well. There's a lot that's really weird, too, <laughs> yeah, but there is a lot that's really rich.
0: Jonathan, will you pray with me? I'd love to. Eternal God, you see, history's long arc and our minute moments, help us to hold these two perspectives, preparing for the future and engaging in the present. Empower us to prepare for our successors, trusting in that process as we trust in you, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. To our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe and tune in for our next episode. Jonathan, what story are we telling next
1: week? Next week, we are looking at Exodus chapter 23, verses 10 to 13, together with a very special guest. So be sure to tune in and see who's joining the conversation. But until then, leave us a review and find us on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for walking us through that story, Seth.
0: Thanks for helping me tell it.